first week of October, and I hope you've had a great week. Welcome to the Daily Walk. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger. Today we are in Matthew 20 through 23, and today Jesus gives us some insight on last decision, last minute decision people, but he really chastises, we get to see the religious leaders the churchy people who put us out because we don't do it like they do. And uh, he really gets real on being authentic in your relationship with him, not just wearing the suit and tie, but being real on the inside is more important. And so it's really good today. And it starts right off with the parable of the vineyard workers in chapter 20. And this is good because it talks about the guys that started working, you know, like at 8 a.m. And how they worked all day. And then he goes and the vineyard worker owner, the vineyard owner goes and he hires more people at noon and at 2. And he hires more people at 5. And they work too. And his promise to them is a day's wage. And then the day is over and he pays everybody a day's wage, even the people hired at five. So they must have got over at six because it talks about they only worked an hour and they got a full day's wage. And so the ones that worked all day, starting at 8 or 6 or whatever, 7, whatever, they got miffed. And they're like, hey, how come they got as much as we got when they only worked an hour and we worked all day? And he's like, it's my money. You can't. One, tell me what to do with it. And two, you shouldn't be jealous because you said you'd work for a day's wage. And I tell everybody I'm going to pay them a day's wage. And so it ends up with those who are last now will be first then and those who are first will be last. So, But really, if you look at this and we put this perspective to our eternity What this really is saying is we have hope even for those up to the 11th hour, okay? That the reward of heaven is going to be just the same for those who come to know Jesus at the last minute as those who have served Jesus their whole life. And a lot of times people get to where they feel unworthy and you know I've prayed with people 
who, and one person in particular who taught me how to pump a fire truck really good. I mean, he was awesome. He was also one of my paramedic instructors in paramedic class. Just a real icon to me in my upbringing in the fire service and to many others. And he ended up getting cancer and died at an early age. And he, on his deathbed, you know, I got to witness to him and I prayed with him and he accepted Jesus, you know, before he died. And he gave me that testimony that, yes, I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He was like a, a really vulgar person in the early years of his life. But the reward he has will be no different than the reward I'll get. And that's really what this is saying is, you know, you serve all your life. Don't be jealous for the ones that come on at the last minute because God's with them and he's going to give them the same opportunities. And we should be rejoicing in that, not jealous of that. And I know I was. I was elated for him because, you know, he was that way. There was another person I know that was in the same similar situation, and and she accepted Jesus, and she was a great witness for that. And so we just got to know that the Lord can do amazing things. And instead of carrying this jealousy because, well, they live this way their whole life, you know. No. Jesus can do all things, and we want people to have that opportunity. And what's really awesome is, you know, in, in I think First Peter might be Second Peter, but I think it's First Peter, you know, or it might even be James. I, we'll get to it. Let's put it that way. It says that we think the Lord is slow about returning, but the Lord isn't slow. The Lord is just patient because he wants more people to be saved. And if we would just take that mindset, we would never have this entitlement mindset that, well, I've lived all this time, so, you know, if you're not on yet, then you don't get it. And that's not that's not cool. So I really like this because that's where it speaks. It's not about making money. It's not about any of that. It's really about we have a chance even up to the last minute, and the reward is going to be the same. So Jesus then goes on and predicts his death again. This is like the third time, and he gets pretty detailed about it, about how they're gonna, he's going to be betrayed, and the leading priests and uh, teachers of religious law are going to hand him over to the Romans. He's going to get mocked, flogged, and whipped, and even crucified, which remember, crucified does not mean killed. Crucified means put on a cross. And there's ways. They tie them. Normally they tied them, but of course we know they nailed him. And he says on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. So he's revealing he's going to die on that cross. 
So then Jesus teaches about serving others because a couple guys want to, they send their mommy <laughs> to ask Jesus if they can sit at his right hand. You know, a lot of times when we want something big, and this is it, cool because these are these are adult men, but they know if they send mom, mom has a way, right? I mean, how many, we have that still today, you know, where we, we have our moms fight our battles sometimes. And so Jesus says, oh, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the cup of suffering I'm drinking? See, we want to be like Jesus, but a lot of times we don't realize to be like Jesus includes the suffering that Jesus suffers. And I'm not talking about being nailed to a cross in particular. You could be, metaphorically. But I'm talking about the ridicule, the people always questioning, the people always trying to prove you wrong, the people always trying to say you're whack, you know? And it's like, that's the suffering. Yeah, we want to be like Jesus, compassionate, loving, kind. We definitely want to do that. That's our mindset. But we have to realize that uh, what accompanies that is the persecution. And, of course, they say, oh, yeah, we can do it, we can do it. And he says, oh, yeah, you will. <laughs> oh, yeah, you will. And then Jesus describes some of the suffering they'll go through because he knows that their intent is good. And because of that, they too will suffer in their own particular ways. So then there's, remember, Jesus has already healed two blind men. They're, they're along the road as he's traveling, and they say, hey, son of David, son of David. And he says, what do you want? And they say, we want to see. And he says, your faith has healed you. And instantly they could see, right? Well, here's two more blind men. And they're saying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd's telling them, oh, be quiet. And Jesus stops and says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, we want to see. Now, in this particular one, it says, Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. And instantly they could see. So the first time he just spoke a word, this time he touched their eyes and they could see. So in other versions, it would say he felt compassion for them. So that's pretty cool. And then we move on to the next chapter in 21. And this is where Jesus comes into Jerusalem. This is the triumphal entry where he comes in riding on a donkey, which fulfills the prophecy, which says, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, which I believe they don't say it, but I think this is from Jeremiah as well. So he tells them how to find the donkey. Everything is that way. And then he goes into the temple when he comes in. You know, these are the people praising Jesus. Here he comes. Praise God, the highest of high. Blessings on the one that comes in the name of the Lord. Sing Hosanna. They're praising Jesus, but these same people are going to be the ones that are going to turn against him, right? And so he goes into the temple and he clears it because they've turned it into a marketplace. And he says, 
The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Here's what I want to propose to you. Yes, that was the temple, brick and mortar temple, but the Lord wants that of your own temple as well. And a lot of times we replace prayer. We pray hardly at all, even in our churches. And we've replaced prayer with other things that steal from us the relationship with God we should have. They steal our time. They steal our resources. They steal our emotions. They steal everything we have from our time from God to where we don't have time for prayer. And what we really need is Jesus to come in and do a house cleaning, a cleansing, you know. And and my wife and I do this thing for our health called Cleanse Days where we uh, have a day of fasting and we have this stuff called Cleanse for Life that cleanses the cells That's all. Don't take it anywhere else. It cleanses our cells and gets the impurities and toxins out of our cells. And, you know, we usually do it on Wednesday. Wednesday is cleanse day. And it's so cool because you can really tell it's happening. Now, you do pee a lot. So, pee starts with pee, right? What if we made it? time where we would have a cleanse day and we would rid ourselves of all the junk in our life that separates us from God and we do pray a lot starts with p i know that sounds kind of kooky but listen we need that sounds like my daughter she always says listen and it's like we need a day where we can just clear out all the stuff in our schedule and in our world and just pray our churches need that and we have churches now that are really called houses of prayer and that place those houses of prayer are seeing amazing things happen and when we cleanse our bodies we see amazing things happen our health has never been better and if we want to see our health in jesus get better I propose to you that we need to see more cleanse days where we just get rid of all the junk that's going in in our life and bring it to the Lord in prayer and pee a lot. And P stands for prayer. Pray a lot. And, you know, one of the things my wife and I do when we go to church, it takes us an hour to get to our church, is we pray on the way openly and we just cover it in prayer because we're still trying to teach our church the importance of prayer and it's a young church so it's okay but we need that and we're big into that so i just propose that to you guys that hey anyone listening if you don't pray often then pick a day and say, I'm going to cleanse myself of the things of distraction between me and the Lord. And this is my cleanse day. And I'm going to pray today as much as I can. Because Paul will tell us later that we need to pray without ceasing. Woo, put that one in there. All right, because here's what he says. You know, he comes out 
he goes back to Bethany, comes out the next day to go back to the temple. There's a fig tree that doesn't bear any fruit. He curses the fig tree. It withers immediately. The disciples are blown away. How did that happen? How did that happen so quickly? And he says this. You can pray for anything. This is chapter 21, verse 22. Easy to remember. Matthew 21, 22. 21, 22. Okay. You can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. So you can pray for anything. But the key is you got to have faith. You got to have faith. You know who that is, right? You will receive it. It's not just pray and expect. It's pray and have faith. Then you can receive it. They go together. You just can't do one without the other. And so I think that's huge. So remember, Matthew 21, 22. So if you're praying and you're coming to the throne with doubt, that's not faith. Pray and have faith, and then you will receive it. So Jesus gets challenged by the religious leaders again, and he tells a parable about a couple of sons, one that says he's going to work and one that says he won't work, but then ends up working. And he says, you know, who's going to, which one is actually more obedient? And this is just one that really kind of lets us know that there's two people out there, the ones that are slow to come to him and actually do, and the ones that just flat out resist him. And the ones that are slow are the ones that are going to get the reward. That's why Jesus waits. Okay. And then he tells about the evil farmers and how he uh, has this big, great vineyard and he sends servants to go get the profits because it's crop sharing, you know, and they kill them kill the servants, beat them, kill them, kill one. And then they send the son. And this whole thing is a is a parable about Jesus coming and how they're going to kill him. And the Pharisees figure that out. And they're like, oh, man, he's talking about us. And this is where Jesus pulls out the scripture from Isaiah again and says, haven't you ever heard the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. And he says, anyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken into pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. And that's when they figure out, oh, he's talking about us. And so that made them really mad, remember? Because it's always, I'm going to, when the when the messenger says things that really convict us, Instead of just saying, Lord, I want to get right with you, we get mad at the messenger, so we want to push the messenger out. And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds because the crowds were following him. So they just kind of wait and figure it out. But remember, they're going to go greater than that. They're going to go into the whole uh we're going to kill you thing. So 
Jesus gives another one about the great feast, which is similar to what he just said. He talks about, gets into a battle with the religious leaders about the resurrection. And what I like about that, you know, because the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They think you're dead, you're dead. You're going to go, you're going to rot, you're going to turn into dust. And Jesus says, you know, what you don't understand is what the scriptures talk about. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. (laughs) And so he puts that into perspective for him. And then they challenge him on the greatest commandments. And it's like, okay, so you're asking me? So he just tells them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And the second, he throws this one at him, is, and it's equally important, is love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law. So, you know, they got all those laws that they make. The entire law. And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Because he knows that they know about love the Lord your God, but he knows that they have trouble loving their neighbors. So then they get into this thing about whose son is the Messiah, and they want to say he's the son of David, and he challenges them, well, if he's the son of David, then why did he call him Lord? And that shuts them up because they don't have an answer for that. And so then the whole chapter 23 is Jesus' dissertation. The whole chapter is Jesus' dissertation on his disapproval and discontent with the religious leaders. And he's really upset with them because they're supposed to know and be helping people come into relationship with the Lord. But they don't. They exalt themselves. And he says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted because they just wear all this pomp and circumstance and they don't, to make this whole thing Short, they talk a talk, but they don't walk the walk. And he calls them blind guides. And that is huge. He calls them blind guides. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them brood of vipers. And, you know, he really tells them what he thinks. And so he says, outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so what he's getting at here really is, you know, he's real unhappy with these religious leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and priests, which are part of that. And he's saying to us, Don't think you can look on the outside to others 
and that's good enough. I see the inside. And if we look back at the Old Testament, God said all along, I judge differently than you do. You look at the outside, but I see the inside. And so Jesus is just exposing these guys because he's letting them know, I see your inside. And you are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness, even though you look the part of religious leaders. And so Jesus is really pounding the fact that he really wants us to be what we say we are. And so can people look at you and really say they believe what they say they believe? And that's the question, because this closes out today with Jesus kind of feeling sorry for, I guess is the best way to do it, compassion for Jerusalem. Because he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, because he knows it's coming. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you won't let me. See, how often has God really put a calling on us that we want? he wants us to be a part of his family, but we reject it. We push him away. We run from it, and we just say, it's not for me today. Well, here's the good news. Even if you come to him in the 11th hour, the reward is the same as those people that have been serving him their whole life. But be authentic. And don't put off today. Don't put off today what could change your life for eternity. Because if you put off to tomorrow what you could have done today, tomorrow may never get here. And what a blessing it is to serve the one true God. Because he loves you so much and he just wants to have you in his fold. Have a great Friday. What a great start to the week. Tomorrow is a rest day. So catch up if you need to. And we'll be right back with you on the Sabbath. Have a great day. Word of God speak. Would you pour down like rain?